This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Don't forget you can catch me live on Times Radio from 10 every Monday to Friday. Just download the Times Radio app, listen on your smart speaker or turn on your DAB radio. But if you are busy between 10 and 1, that's fine because you can catch the best bits here on the podcast. Coming up today, it's Wednesday, so of course Rishi Sunak is away. It's the deputies. It's Oliver Dowden. Balancing the books means more than working out how many more millions to take from her union paymaster. And Angela Rayner in the Commons. Mr Speaker, once again, he talks about balancing the books. His party crashed the economy. And we're joined by Deputy Head Teacher Sammy Wright to help us pause the action and analyse the key exchanges in real time. So that's coming up in just a moment. But first, let's take a look at the day's news with today's Columnist Perry. The Columnists on Times Radio. Yeah, no Alibert this week. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton are away. We don't know if they're on holiday together. I'm not one to gossip. So instead, we are joined by Times columnist Janice Turner. Hi, Janice. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. And in the studio, Daily Mirror's political editor, John Stevens is here. Hello, John. Hi, morning, Matt. So let's talk about what sounds like uh, the worst barbecue in the world ever. It's happening tonight, John. Explain. Yes, this is Rishi Sunak. We're coming to the end of term. Next week is the last week of Parliament before the long summer recess. And Rishi Sunak thought, what would I rather do rather than invite all Tory MPs, including Nadine Doris, who's promised she will stand down but hasn't stand down, round to the Downing Street Garden. I'm not quite sure what they're eating, like a hog roast or something. Something You're a vegetarian, aren't you? I am, yeah. It doesn't particularly appeal. Uh, But I imagine it'd be something better than your average supermarket burgers. I mean, it's bold for a Tory Prime Minister to to bring, well, it's essentially a dead pig into into your house. (laughs) Given. Oh, don't get me to say something that's like <laughs> legally dodgy. Uh, what do you think you should be serving at this barbecue, Janice? Uh, well, um, I hope they've dealt with people's allergies. Um, this could be, <laughs> it's always a, um, a minefield nowadays, isn't it? I can't believe a hog roast, really. I mean, it, I mean, it's kind of red blooded, and you know, um, and surely there are enough Muslim MPs and so on who won't be kind of offended by that. I don't know. Um, I think some nice salads always goes down well, doesn't it? A, a nice a nice kind of cold collation. That's what I would go for. A nice what? Cold collation. I don't know you know, those. kind of like lots of nice cold things all set Oh, we out. see. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
That doesn't sound particularly fun, Janice. Well, it doesn't sound fun. Do you think a, do you think a, to- a, a barbecue attended exclusively by Tory MP sounds like a lot of fun? No, but no, some like plates of limp salad in the corner. That's what you want on the side no, of your burger, you... not as the main event. He's well, got... I think you're underestimating the power of the salad now. Mm. You know, you... You've got to look wider. Actually, we do a lovely one with uh, feta, pomegranate seeds, and mm-hmm. um, uh, sugared nuts, like mm, glazed. Yeah, you could eat that. A vegetarian, could, nice. Yeah. Yes, we apparently beer, wine, lamb shanks, and a hog roast. There's not a lot there for the veggies, I'm afraid, John. No, it's fine. Well, luckily, I'm not a Tory MP and I don't have an invite, so that is okay. <laughs> what would, you're a vegetarian, so what would you serve if you don't like salad? It's kind of a Oh, they do. But it's all you're basically a rabbit. Uh, basically a rabbit. I mean, if you go to the supermarket now, you there are endless choices of veggie burger. It is not which, like the 1990s. Which, when you come to our, when you've come to my house for barbecue, I've served you. Up always a ve- been vegetarian for always very always nice. catered for. If slightly later, because I always slightly forget. The awkward thing when you're a vegetarian though, and you go to a barbecue, I don't like vegetarian sausages, and someone always put like eight vegetarian sausages on the barbecue, and then you feel pressure to eat them, even though you feel like you're going to vomit. <laughs> So in terms of what Tory MPs will be talking about around as they stand around and watch the hog rotating, um, uh, let's start with the illegal immigration bill. Illegal migration bill. Uh, 18 votes last night, which the government won all of them. I was quite shocked. About 120, 130 MPs weren't even there, which suggests they're not fully committed to... Uh, well, it's to summer party season, isn't it? There's plenty of places you'd rather oh, be yeah. rather than go, walking around in circles in the House of Commons. I mean, talking to MPs who were there last night for these 18 votes, where you basically spent hours on end just walking around the corridors of the Commons voting over and over and over and over again. Quite often, MPs see voting as an opportunity to go and kind of grab a minister quickly to lobby them, or if you're a minister, try and speak to some difficult backbenchers. But after several hours, I think they probably don't enough milling last night without another <laughs> night of it tonight hog roast or not um janice this issue of the uh, the stop this is essentially what they call the stop the boats bill uh the government uh basically thinks you can't be too hard line on this the public are right behind them they want something done about the stop the boats it does start looking a bit tricky when you've got massive lefties like theresa may and ian duncan smith lining up against some of the measures in it no, there seem to be so many bear traps. And, and the one Theresa May brought out yesterday was very interesting about, um, I mean, the one thing that she really did with great um, aplomb and great commitment was to do thing, things about um, uh, human trafficking and modern slavery, and especially for women. And and the idea that um, prostituted women would be brought over and then sent back into the arms of very arms of the people that um, had, had sort of um, lured them over here was something I don't think anybody had properly considered. So, you know, it, it just seems to be the obstacles keep multiplying, don't they? And you wonder really how how they're going to um, dodge them all, especially when it goes to the House of Lords and there's archbishops and there's um, uh, liberal lords who, who are just going to pull it apart, reinsert amendments. And you wonder really whether it's this sort of Sisyphean task that's never going to be over, really. But, I mean, there were 18 votes last night. The government did actually win all of those 18 yeah. votes. And, yeah, it will go back to Lords and it will come back to the Commons and rah, rah, rah. But I think they've given just enough concessions to get this legislation over the bar and they're desperate to have something there. So then over the summer months where there's not much news around and endless news reports on how the numbers of people crossing the channel is going up and up and up and we've got record days. You know, Downing Street know it's going to be a really tricky summer 
And at the moment, they haven't got much to show for what they're doing to stop the boats, other than some pointless row about whether we're going to pull out the ECHR and a load of legal action. So it is very small to say, well, yeah, but we did pass some legislation. But at least that's something yeah, the yeah, government yeah, might yeah, be able yeah. to yeah. have to kind of summer. fill the airtime the next few months. And it's obviously one of uh, Richie Sunak's key five pledges. Um, Jake Berry, uh, former Conservative Party chairman, was sitting where you were, where you are right now, John, earlier this week, and he, he he made several valiant attempts to name all five. He claimed he'd named five, and only when we revisited the tape did we discover he said growth twice. I could do five. Come on, then you could do the same. If you could do the. It <laughs> is um, NHS waiting list. Yep. Cut NHS waiting list. Halve inflation. Grow the economy. Cut the national debt. Stop the votes. Very good. Maybe I could be a you Tory, could be a Tory MP. MP. Well, stand by, Janice. This is exciting news. Having got his five pledges, there could be another five coming down the track. Um, apparently, uh, Jeremy Hunt was at a dinner this week for the think tank Onward uh, and says that by meeting the first five, they will restore the trust of the British people that they lost last year and then we'll be able to make another set of pledges going into the election. And we'll be able to say to them, you can listen to us because we delivered the last five and here are the next five and we're a party that delivers. Do you think that'll work, Janice? No, I don't. I think they can list them as they like. But there is this general sense, I think, of an impatience and a waiting for an election and a feeling that everything is broken. Um, you know, the water companies, energy companies, this sense of unaccountability um, that I it's a malaise. There just gets to a point, as they did in with Labour, I guess, um, 2010, where you just want a change and it doesn't even become a political decision anymore. It becomes a managerial decision in the sense like just under new management, let's give someone else a go. And I think they can have a hundred pledges and um, I, I don't think, I think there's a landslide coming. It's going to sweep them all away. And forget coming up with new pledges. People will look at the pledges they actually made at the last election and how many of those yeah. they failed to keep. You know, Rishi Sunak and co all stood on this manifesto that they weren't going to raise all these different taxes and then they put up national insurance. I mean, that's the list of pledges that they gave in the election that they can't remember. I'm not going to be able to remember all of them because it is endless. It goes yeah. on and on and on. And you can't just replace that by coming up with some new pledges instead. Also, it's not completely clear how they meet the five pledges that they've made. I mean, the, we talked about this on the show last week, but certainly getting debt down, debt's de definitely not going to be falling. It's not clear that they're going to be able to uh, halve inflation. Or if they do, it's not really down to them anyway. And, well, I think that's what worries Tory MPs, is they thought that maybe at this point in the year, what are we in, July now, month seven of this year, if there was still stop the boats was a problem, but the others you were making significant progress on, then I think people would think, fine. But at the moment, it doesn't seem that they're making major inroads on any of those promises. And then, just when things couldn't get any better for Rishi Sunak, hurtling around the corner with her growth commission comes Liz Truss, uh, it's go. It's uh, she's launching it today. Uh, almost exactly a year today since she launched a bid to be prime minister. So let's hope it goes just as well. Uh, she claims the average American is earning a third more than the average Briton. Discuss. Well, I actually think that there is a major breakthrough here, and people can say what they want about Liz Truss. But she's decided she's got this new growth commission, this new think think tank that she set up. But she's not actually fronting the event today. She's not going to speak there. So maybe she's not as deluded as people thought that she's realised she maybe isn't the messenger to kind of kind of bring all this anti-growth kind of messages back again. I disagree. I think, I think we just need to hear this a lot more. Growth, growth and growth. <laughs> 
What do you think, Janice? <laughs> well, I'm really fascinated that the comparison that she's making is with the American economy. Um, that Americans are richer than us. And I don't know why we're still looking to America. Um, I was reading a, um, a piece the other day, which was talking about the kind of conditions for American workers. And okay, they may per capita earn more, but um, there was somebody who was talking about a baby shower that was held at her office where people, instead of donating, I don't know, booties and things, they were donating paid leave to the mother so she could have an extra few days with her baby because there's wow. no statute of maternity leave in America. And also um, other people were donating leave to a colleague who was recovering from treatment for leukemia. So, you know, OK, they may have that per capita um, uh, higher than Britain, but workers' conditions and security and all sorts of things are awful in America. I don't know why the comparators are not with growing economies, um, where the infrastructure is amazing and, you know, they're coming down the line like rockets. Um, I was in Taiwan this year and I just, you know, their GDP keeps going up and up and up. I would be looking to countries like that and also obviously to parts of Europe. It's also a slightly weird political... Uh, I mean, Janice just slightly touched on their job, but the idea of looking to America, I don't know if Brits do do that, given, you know, Donald Trump, the health service, or, you know, the, the sort of things that, that Brits care about. It doesn't seem like the the great, you know, land across the water that we should all be aiming for. Yeah, you know, gu guns, racism, Donald Trump, no health service. No, but if you're Liz Truss and you think that your only way to kind of redemption is going and giving speeches at think tanks in Washington, D.C., who lap up what you say and kind of don't have their mortgages going through the roof, so are less kind of yeah. close to what you're saying, then I think that perhaps you would be turning to America. Well, I no doubt you'll be advocating buying a machine gun in Alstor <laughs> soon. That's what we need. That'll do wonders for the GDP. Now, I was just looking on the front of the Times, too. Apparently, real men wear pink, John. And you and I own the same pair of pink trousers, don't we? Yeah, but I definitely don't fit into them anymore, so sadly they oh, I still retired. fit into mine. Uh, I think that just means I'm as fat now as I was in 2016, <laughs> when we both bought them just after, I think it was just after, wasn't it just after Brexit? Yeah, it was, around, it was when we, we went to Wimbledon, After we, we got banned from Wimbledon, so <laughs> you don't go anymore. Don't get invited anymore. Now, I think after Brexit, we thought well, we should really be buying a pair of red trousers. Uh, we couldn't go the whole hog, so we bought pink as a sort of halfway house gateway drug to the full red trousers after Brexit. Anyway, uh, let's turn our attention now to uh, Keir Starmer. He has been speaking uh, to Classic FM about uh, his favourite classical music and the fact uh, that he used to play the flute. Let's take a listen. The flute was what I was best at, um, and uh, the violin and piano took uh, sort of slightly uh, further back uh, down the rankings. But uh, that's the, the flutes, and so I played in orchestras, in quartets, um, you name it. Nearly always Mozart with the flute, um, because it's just so um, profound, and it's, um, you know, there's a special role for the flute in Mozart. But partly because also, if you, if you play uh, the flute, you can get a bit stuck in Baroque if you're not careful. <laughs> No, you don't want to be doing that. <laughs> Do you ever get find yourself you get stuck in Baroque, John? Never. No. Um, that was Keir Starmer speaking to Cla uh, Classic FM about his love of the flute. Do you play any musical instruments, Janice? Absolutely not. I honestly, I'm the least musical person in the whole world. I had a little goat recorder when I was a um, a child, and uh, which is a cruel instrument, isn't it? Um, I was uh, <laughs> reading well, a while ago. The recorder is dying out, and I thought, <laughs> thank God for that. But um, it's terrible no um i i really like this story I, what i would want to see now is keir starmer duet with lizzo don't you think that yes. would be like because she's a classically trained flautist 
Yes. And, uh, and she's, uh, and when it came out that she was a flautist, it, um, uh, she uh, she played, I think, in, for Joe Biden, and now she's incorporated her flute into her act. And so, I, wouldn't it be great? It'd be great. It'd be so down with the kids. What do you think, John? I think there's someone in Labour HQ right now ringing up Lizzo, seeing if she's willing to do that. <laughs> Maybe open the election campaign with them playing flute together. Let's hope it's more successful than when they tried to book Labour Live. <laughs> And they, th- they thought they were going to get storms in. They ended up with the magic numbers. Yeah. Anyway, uh, did you play? Did you play the musical instruments? So I played the piano, and then was did you? no, I did. Did past tense. Yeah. I did play the piano, but was the classic. Didn't practice at home, so we'd turn up for piano lesson every week and hadn't really made any progress. I also played the cornet. Was in Penzance Silver Band, which Were you? I quite enjoyed. That was better because you. Have like, you brought your cornet with you? I've not. No, I've oh. not, I literally haven't touched it for years. Uh, but that was quite fun. I used to go like march through the town playing. Not it. for like carnivals and things. Yeah, not carnivals because it's not Somerset. But um, <laughs> just, I don't know, Remembrance Day or yeah. whatever. Yeah, nice, it's quite enjoyable. Well, uh, we can now speak to somebody who is it? Now, I I was we've been saying flautist all morning, but is it flautist? Let's ask Labour MP Mike Kane. Hi, Mike. Hi, Matt. Yes, I'd say a flautist. Flautist. Well, I've learned something now. Um, yeah. So, who knew that the Labour Party was so full of flautists? Uh, well, it seems to be after today. It's caused quite the sensation that Keir uh, plays the flute. And I once had the great pleasure of uh, uh, finishing a Labour Party conference long before I was MP uh, doing the red flag in, in Liverpool one time as well. That's what they ought to do, get Keir Starmer and Lizzo playing the red flag at party <laughs> conference. That would definitely work. Now, Mike... Well, we did have a debate today about whether it should be the red flag or de-ream, things can only get better. It caused quite the political stir in my office, so... And um, which which side did you come down on, Mike? Just so we can we can more... place you politically. <laughs> uh, well, I, I was more the Dream. Yeah, quite um, right. Very good. Yeah. Right, so Mike, uh, because I don't want to run out of time, have you got a flute with you? I do, Matt. Here we go. This is uh, what I do between votes and between meetings to sort of relax and practice here in Westminster. Um, and how long have you been playing for? Um, well, unlike Janice, I'm afraid I loved the recorder at school, uh, and I was put. Uh, I was very good at it, and it was. I think, as Keir said, it was the only thing I could do really well. And so I was progressed to the flute when we used to have councils with great music services. So uh, I am the product of Manchester Music Service, along with the Gallagher brothers out of Oasis. <laughs> yeah, and who, who's who's the cool one now, Mike? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'll, I'll give it to the to, to the, to the <laughs> So go on then. If you've got, what, what, what are you going to play something for us? Are you going to play uh, things can only get better for us? I'm not. No, I'm going to. I quite like my folk music. I also play the uh, the bagpipes in a band in my constituency. Mike, so, Mike, uh, Mike, Mike, have, Mike. It was all going so a, well. I can't. Be, I can't be doing with the bagpipes. No, I, I'm not going to inflict that. On You're not that today. bloke who stands on Westminster Bridge playing it every morning. Are you? No, he drives me mad because I listen to every like grace note that he gets wrong every day. <laughs> well, every, I mean, I'm not an expert, but every note appears to be slightly off. Um, yes. Yeah. Sorry, Mike. I keep interrupting you. You've got your you've got your flute there. Let's. Uh, what are you going to play for us? Uh, so there's a piece called "The Man Is in Love" by the Waterboys, and there's a sort of flute rift in it. So I'll just play you the rift. Is lovely, that okay? Lovely, of course. Yeah, this is Mike Kane, <laughs> Labour MP for Withenshaw and Sale East, playing the flute on Times Radio.
very good. You're not clapping, John? Beautiful. Very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was miles away there. That was lovely. Um, and where, where do you play now, Mike? Uh, so uh, I actually um, play in the pipe band and we have a, a folk band that goes uh, with it. Um, so we do sort of gigs uh, occasionally. And um, I also play at church. I run the musical liturgy in my local church on, a, on, a, on the weekend as well. And have you ever played with Keir? Uh, no, no, I, uh, I'm looking forward to that. And neither have I played my bagpipes with Alistair Campbell either, so uh, wow. that's another, another mission I'm on. Mm -hmm. Best of luck with that. Has that, that inspired you to take up the flute, Janice? Um, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> maybe I'll find my old recorder and um, I could do the theme from Van der Volk. I remember that was the thing I managed to learn that was... Very impressive. I remember actually my daughter when she was at infant school, they didn't do the recorder, or they think they did for a bit, and then, then she moved over to the ukulele, mm. which is much nicer, to go and mm. like watch a performance. There's nothing, I mean, all due respect, Mike, there's literally nothing worse than 35-year-olds uh, playing the recorder, as in a group of 30 children who are five. Not 35-year-olds th playing the recorder, even weirder. Well, Janice, if it's not politically incorrect, I'd start with three blind mice. That's 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 pretty easy on the recorder. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll try and recall my old uh, recorder days. <laughs> well, let's. I think we, I think we could, there's a super group forming here. John on his cornet, Mike on the on the bagpipes, and Janice on the on the recorder. Just like Fangham Debonair and Kathy Newman. Oh yeah, what um, are they called? The statutory <laughs> instruments. Yeah, you're not in a political band then, Mike. Are they, are these normal people in your band. Uh, these are normal people in my band. Yes. <laughs> What's it called? Uh, my my uh, uh, Lorica is our folk band, and my pipe band is called the Fiona Porrick, which is the uh, Irish for the followers of Patrick. John Stevenson, The Mirror, and Janice Turner from The Times. And of course, you can read Janice in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's Deputy PMQ's Unpacked. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, it's that time of the week where we ask Tim Shipman, where's Rishi Sunak? 
Rishi Sunak is hiding at the NATO summit this week. It does feel like we've done more of these deputies recently than, than the man himself. The good thing is, though, Tim, they're so fun. They are often fun. Absolutely jam-packed with content. And comedic um, flourishes. Yeah, so uh, we've got... Uh, if we're going to a school, we're off to... Because uh, we thought deputies. We thought deputies is Deputy Oliver Dowden, Deputy Prime Minister. Angela Wayne is Deputy Leader. So we thought we'd go off to a school to speak to a Deputy Head Teacher at Southmore Academy, uh, Sammy Wright. Hi, Sammy. Hi there. How are you? Well, uh, where, did you get paid a picture for us of your school this morning? This, this afternoon? It's slight, um, very positive chaos. We have the whole of the National Youth Orchestra um, wandering around playing instruments. I've already done an interview this morning and we have uh, year 10s and 9s doing lots of transition events before we finish for the summer tomorrow. Oh, so it's your last day. So are you, are you basically just wheeling in a, a big telly so you can put Jurassic Park 2 on? Almost the opposite. We seem to have crammed all <laughs> the exciting things into the last week. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's been really positive. It's been really good for the kids. Um, and uh, it's, it's lovely just to see uh, energy going right up to the end. Very good, very good. Uh, do you, I mean, presumably because you're often uh, doing your teaching, you don't get to see PMQs very often? No, no, I don't. Um, uh, I do sometimes uh, uh, try and find out what happened the day after, but it seems strangely difficult to pin it down. <laughs> Well, we're going to try and do that uh, uh, between us. And Sammy, you've been, you were also on the, we've spoken before, because um, particularly during COVID all of that, but you were on the Social Mobility uh, Commission for some time. Yes, that's right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, because one of the main th recurring themes of Oliver Downing versus Angela Wayne, Tim, is, is uh, I'm I'm humble working class. It, who has been mo more mobile from their uh, uh, impoverished beginnings than the other. Yeah. Um, the uh, I'll take no lectures on social mobility. From this working class lad. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think Angela convinces more on yeah. this front. I mean, you know, he did go to a state school, which does mark him out uh, in the cabinet. But, um, yeah, I think it's quite a stretch to claim He's him. in that, you know, minority of 93% of the population. Well, exactly. There. He's, yeah. he's basically a normal person. Yeah. Whereas I think you could I, argue that Angela I think, had I think a, on that basis, though, we're both normal people, so you've got to question it somehow, haven't you? Yeah, that's true. Are you a normal person, Sammy? I, I hope so, but I was thinking that, you know, one of the things in the Social Mobility Commission is they always talk about the differences between relative poverty and absolute poverty. And you might say that Oliver Dowden exhibits relative uh, normalness within the Tory <laughs> party. Very good. That's a very good point. Right then, uh, so we're going to go to uh, we're about to go to uh, House of Commons uh, High. Are we calling it that school? Something like that. We've we got the music. Let's hit the music. There we are. Uh, let's see who are going to be the naughty boys and girls, and who are going to be it's well very behaved. Much an our generation drop that, isn't it? In terms of the music, yeah. Because there anybody under the age of forty knows what that who's music, listening, who knows what Grange Hill was. Aren't they bringing it back? Oh, are they? Oh, well, I think there was talk they were going to bring it back or make a film or something. This is the early theme as well, isn't it? This is the one with the sausage. <laughs> the sausage on the fort in the opening credits. I remember Sammy, well. do you think any of your children would know what Grange Hill was? No, one of the depressing things about teaching is you realise that um, it's very, very quick, the process of the past becoming the distant past. And the kids, they barely remember COVID. <laughs> well, that's probably, there's probably no that's harm probably in that. That's probably the long COVID, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready to go to the House of Commons? Uh, well, here we go then. Uh, this is uh, quiet and down class, please. Uh, let's go live to the House of Commons. Now is question number one from Angela Rayner. Thank 
Thank you, Mr Speaker. And I know you're a keen historian, so I looked up the last time a Prime Minister missed two sessions in a row with other engagements, which was March 1996. And I'm very proud to be filling the boots of Lord John Prescott, but I think it's safe to say he's no Hessel time, Mr Speaker. Why is it John Prescott asked that in Tory Britain, tens of thousands of families are facing repossession, negative equity and homelessness. And can he tell us, 27 years later, why I'm having to ask the same question? Well, clearly the right honourable lady did not listen to my previous comments. The Prime Minister is at NATO. Of course, that wouldn't be a problem if she'd had her way. Her old boss wanted to abandon Ukraine, abolish the army and withdraw from NATO and he certainly wouldn't be going to any summit, Mr Speaker. As Jeremy Corbyn is talking about. And, it, and, when, it, and when, it comes, when it comes to house building, I will take no lectures from the party opposite on home ownership. My parents would not have been able to buy their own home if it were not for Margaret Thatcher and the reforms introduced by her government, and this government is building on those with record house building. Well, there we are. That was quite, quite, was quite, quite a lot going on there. Yes, your your first initial thoughts on that, Sammy? Um, well, I'm impressed that you managed to predict the no lectures. Um, so, and uh, so, yeah, surely that's a very <laughs> anti-educationalist position. We should have more lectures. <laughs> very good. So, yeah, he has said, I'm not going to take any lectures on uh, July the 5th, on uh, June the 7th, uh, twice, three times, four times, one, two, three, four, four times June the 7th. Uh, he also did it on uh, May the 17th, uh, twice, and on uh, May the 11th. I think with the realms of what might be described as a verbal tick. Now, yes. Uh, yes. Probably one that earns a ping next time. I think we, might be, I think we might be ready for, uh, ping for that. A smart... A uh, bit of research from the Labour Party. Very today. nice there, yes. Going back to uh, what uh, Preza was asking Heza, and Oliver Dowden's got sort of uh, lightish hair, but it's not quite as magnificent as the uh, Tarzan's mane, it's fair to say. Um, and, yeah, I mean, managing to combine a bit of amusing historical research with, uh, you know, the subject which is still uh, one that Labour uh, is getting some traction with. Um, and then from Dowden, you know... Back to the old, let's drag Corbyn into this. Um, now, look, you and I keep mocking this. Um, they wouldn't keep doing it if they didn't think it had some kind of uh, cut yeah. through. Um, though I have to say it's not one I've picked up recently in a focus group. Um, this idea that, you know, the Labour front bench propped up Corbyn and, you know, he was an inappropriate kind of person to be Prime Minister. Um, I guess it works in some parts of the country, um, but it feels in the chamber a bit old hat. Um, what do you think, um, uh, Sammy? That when when Oliver Dowding is doing his, you know, I grew up with a humble background and all that. Does that um, and and actually talking specifically about uh, right to buy? Did, was that a vehicle of social mobility that we're missing now? No, um, I mean, no. Look, it's complicated as all these things are. But the problem with the right to buy, as I think we all know, is that that it depleted the stock of social housing. Um, and so while it might have been a route to actually significant wealth for quite a lot of people who bought at the right time and then saw a rising housing market, it depleted the possibility of mobility for a large 
chunk of other people that then came after them. So it's, you know, it's the old age old thing when you come to social mobility of the conflict between what it means for an individual to be mobile and what it means for a society to enable mobility in general. He was also quite careful, wasn't he, to not actually mention right to buy. I wonder whether they were right to buy or not, or whether he was just talking more generally. It'd be quite interesting. Oh, just under Margaret Thatcher, they bought a house. Yes. Now, it may be that if someone has a dig around, they might discover that it wasn't a council house that was bought. Um, That was just my sort of uh, old news reporter um, cynicism clanging Surely not. Surely not. Now, I've just looked up the the quotes from uh, Angela Rayner quoting John Prescott from March 1996, saying, Why is it in Tory Britain a thousand families every week have their homes repossessed? 120,000 families are homeless. 1.7 million families are trapped in negative equity. On that miserable record... Is my uh, right more friend, the leader of the opposition, correct in identifying the Conservatives as the party of home wreckers? Which is pretty, pretty strong stuff. Uh, which, which, interesting contribution from John Prescott. John Prescott. Well. Uh, yes, given what we know. If only we'd known then what we know now. Uh, his second question says, how can he be so complacent in the face of the sheer misery created by the government's policies? So let's see if Angela Rayner continues that uh, with question number two. Rayner. Mr Speaker, I think he's taking lessons from the former Prime Minister on telling the facts. The last, the last Labour government worked hard Boris to dramatically reduce There's the number so of children in temporary accommodation. Yeah. But under the Tories, the number of homeless children has risen by 75%. I'm proud of our record on tackling child poverty. Does the right honourable gentleman feel ashamed of his? Yeah. Yeah, the Prime Minister. I'll tell you what this government has done. We've lifted 400,000 children out of child poverty. We have introduced the national living wage, something the party opposite totally failed to do, and increased increased the national living wage by the largest amount ever, meaning £1,800 for working people and cutting their taxes by doubling the personal allowance. That is the surest way to ensure we lift people out of poverty and would never have happened with a party opposite. National living wage, we should point out, the first thing that really springs to mind there, Tim, uh, national living wage, uh, he says it was opposed by Labour because it was in the you know budgets and they always vote against these things, but the national minimum wage... Was a Labour innovation. Was a Labour innovation. Which the Tories opposed, opposed by, opposed by, by the Conservative, Conservative Party. So yeah. what George Osborne did when he was Chancellor was to say, um, you know, we're going to raise this uh, by a decent amount to something that you might actually be able to live off rather than it just being a kind of um, safety net um, underneath. Um, so that was one of the kind of uh, the upsides of um, coming out of austerity, but boosting that considerably. Um, you know, and look, the government, I think if we're being fair to them, we've got an okay record on sort of doing some of this stuff. But a lot of it affects people not quite at the bottom, but at the sort of next level up because. A lot of people don't, you know, didn't benefit from that personal allowance change. They don't pay income tax because they're not earning enough. And uh, I think the argument we're likely to have ahead of the next election is is arguing over the people who are really at the bottom end. And that's where Labour will always try to sort of pitch its tent. Um, whereas the Tories have tended to help people who are at the low end of the kind of working um, population that has, you know, uh, an income on the cusp of uh, paying income tax. And it's um, they're slightly different groups, um, and they're both you know, can make a, a reasonable argument about it. But I suspect 
uh, you know, it goes back a little bit to relative and absolute poverty. There's some, you know, yeah. I think the Labour Party will focus a bit more on the people in absolute poverty. Um, and, you know, given the state of uh, people's finances at the moment, um, that um, that could be productive for them. And Sammy Wright, I'm bringing you in there, Deputy Head Teacher, but like I said, also a member of the uh, uh, the Social Mobility uh, Commission. Just explain what we're talking about, this difference between relative and absolute. Because essentially, relative... Um, relative poverty just means, well, yeah, you might be poor, but so are loads of other people, um, rather than absolute. Just explain what the difference is when we're talking about that. Yeah, so basically, I mean, the, the key thing to understand is actually that, that nine times out of ten when we talk about poverty, we're talking about relative poverty, because um, there, there, is, there is a measure um, of uh, when you fall into food poverty, which is when you can't afford to, to actually eat, which is a pretty extreme one. But, but actually... Um, most measures of poverty are about how far below the median wage or median household wage you are. And the thing about that is that you have to understand that there is the statistics are very, very tricky on it. Because actually, um, when uh, we go through difficult economic times, then actually relative poverty can decrease because wages bunch together more. Um, and the, the, the positioning of the median wage changes. So in, for example, in the aftermath of the financial crash, there was actually a, a reduction in uh, figures of relative poverty because more people were actually struggling. Now, on top of that, there is a kind of long-running dispute around the figures of child poverty particularly. Um, there was a, uh, a, a dispute, I remember, around uh, Boris Johnson using a figure of 600,000 kids lifted out of, of poverty um, a few years back. And I don't know the figures they're referring to now, but I do know it's very easy to talk about these in wildly contrasting ways. <laughs> and what I would definitely say, the only concrete thing that we can actually hold on to here is in absolute terms, in literal terms of the number, the amount of money that families get, um, the government has absolutely contributed to them getting less money by introducing and keeping the two-child two um, cap on, uh, on, on child benefits. Benefit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sammy, thank you for that. It's really well, uh, well explained. And actually, when they're both fighting over statistics, it doesn't matter what the statistics show, if people's real-life experience is they're struggling, they want to know what's going to be done about it rather than arguing about... And politicians love statistics, and I don't think there's anything that turns voters off more yeah, quickly yeah. than people waving statistics around, to be honest. Well, the worst thing than that is if he starts reading out an email from someone real-life person who's been carefully chosen. Anyway, let's go back to the House of Commons then. Uh, this is Deputy PMQs. It's Oliver Dowden answering the questions because someone's just been in touch. Who's it? James says, listen to PMQs on Matt Jolly. And whoever is standing in for Rishi Sunak sounds exactly like Martin Lewis. I'm hoping to get some cost-of-living advice so I'm not holding my breath. Does Oliver Dowden sound like Martin Lewis? Uh, we'll find out in a sec. First, this is question three from Angela Rayner. Angela Rayner! Mr Speaker, it's like the ghost of Prime Minister Past is still here. <laughs> And I tell the right honourable gentleman that he should be careful about the stats he used because the Children's Commissioner warned the other Prime Minister about peddling false narrative on child poverty around those figures. The truth is, rising bills and soaring mortgages and plummeting real wages are pushing more and more families to the brink. Those already struggling are being hit hardest by the Tory mortgage bombshell and rising food costs. So can he tell us... How many primary school children have been pushed into poverty since his government took power? Deputy Prime Minister. I would say to the Right Honourable Lady, it is this party, not the party opposite, which extended free school meals to all five, six and seven-year-olds 
something the party opposite failed to do, and it sits alongside many measures we are taking to help people with the cost of living. We are paying half of families' energy bills last winter, winter funded by our 75% windfall tax, freezing fuel duty, helping families with childcare, and delivering on our pledge to reduce the debt. It, it may come as a surprise to the Right Honourable Lady, but balancing the books means more than working out how many more millions to take from her union paymasters. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Union paymasters, that was a good one. Well, it's, we've not had that for a we've while. We've not had that for a little while. At least a fortnight. You can tell he's flat, flat. Given that we're pretty much in the same area we always are with Angela Rayner, you know, housing, cost of living, poverty, you know, the, the, these are not unusual themes for her. He, he seems to be struggling quite a bit. Maybe it's because the figures aren't very good. Um, well, well you, you know, one Tory mortgage bombshell, one union paymasters. Um, it's interesting, though, to hear Dowden boasting about extending free school meals, which um, uh, Boris Johnson's government did, having twice been massively beaten up by Marcus Rashford, the footballer, and they tried to retract it, and they got beaten up again. Well, I was and now they're boasting that they're doing it. Was he not boasting extending free school meals for every five, six, and seven-year-old? Wasn't that the Nick Clegg policy? It might have been originally. <laughs> I was going to say, th- that, but didn't that, they extend it during and then, then they, during then COVID? Out they went during some school holidays. But yeah. there's been an argument since then about it's now a Labour policy or Sadiq Khan's doing it in London, doing it during the school holidays. Sammy, do you? I mean, you're, you're, you're better. Sounds pl- like you know what you're talking about, Sammy. Why don't you as tell an us? actual teacher, why don't you come in and tell us what we're talking yeah. about? Yeah. So basically, um, he's referring the way he phrased that seems very clear that he's referring to the policy that was championed by the Liberal Democrats and the coalition government. Um, of uh, universal free school meals for younger children. The Marcus Rashford thing was about extending free school meals over the holiday period, um, which now doesn't happen again. That was a temporary thing during COVID. Uh, and yes, it's Sadiq Khan is talking about uh, universal free school meals, and I think Labour are, are contemplating it as a policy. Uh, although obviously it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit of an odd one, because in some ways it could be very, very valuable, because some students don't take up the entitlement to free school meals but in other ways it's you know it's something where you're actually providing something for free to some kids who don't need it yeah. so is it a use of money i mean i certainly uh, know because we benefited from the nick clegg lunch uh and, and you now know, you're getting a free lunch off me it's almost the same isn't it um but uh we could definitely have bought them you know it was quite handy that we didn't have to buy a load of those small yogurt pots and all of that while she was in for school but it, you know it certainly it didn't feel like something that was absolutely desperate that the government needed to be doing no i mean I, as someone who loads a lunchbox with small oh, those petit little... flu yogurts each morning <laughs> sammy do you have to go around policing lunchboxes uh, no, no. At, at secondary school, we let them, uh, you know, bring bring what they want. What we have to do is police that they have a lunchbox so that they can get into the hole to eat it. Because otherwise, they say they've got a lunch, then sneak in and join the queue. It's all uh, very, yeah, uh, all very Machiavellian. Very good. But I was going to say one of the things I, I have noticed over these questions so far is, as a teacher, I mean, I'm often trying to get my staff to to improve the quality of their questioning, and there's a lot of. Uh, professional development we do on this, I'd say the questioning is pretty poor here. I don't think there's any question that's actually been answered. And I think all the ones that have been asked don't actually have an answer in mind. They're all <laughs> welcome, welcome to Prime Minister's Welcome questions. to our world, Sammy. This is... <laughs> 
Right, OK, well, let me, I'll tell you what, we've got three to get through in the next ten minutes, so hopefully they'll be snappier uh, and we'll get through them all. Uh, right, let's go back to the House of Commons. So this is Deputy uh, PMQs. It's Tim Shipman and uh, Sammy Wright, uh, who is currently a Deputy Head, uh, who's uh, joining us to guide us through it all. So it's Deputy PMQs, Oliver Dowden, versus, uh, with question four, this is Angela Rayner. Once again, he talks about balancing the books. His party crashed the economy. And he seems to be, he seems to be completely oblivious to what it's like for working people in this country at the moment. New research out today shows that 400,000 more primary school-aged children are growing up in poverty since his government came to office. Why does he think that is? Deputy Prime Minister. I will take absolutely no lectures whatsoever from the party opposite about how we help children in the most need. It is record investment from this government in education, £2 billion more this year, £2 billion next year, which is giving those very children the best possible start in life, ensuring that we have the highest reading standards in the Western world. And I have to say to the, I have to say to the Honourable Lady, listen, her, her leader says he hates tree huggers. They seem very keen on hugging that ma- magic money tree. Yeah. Oh dear. Talk about a sort of tacked on <laughs> thing that just was just sort of... the page and read like, out whatever was in yeah, front of him. Uh, so I can give you some information about this, this those figures, because the Labour Party have, have, have been in touch. Uh, so they have uh, got hold of some analysis which shows that uh, 1.4 million children aged between 5 and 10 were living in poverty in 2021-22. That's a rise of more than 400,000 since the Tories came into office. That's Labour analysis of DWP statistics of households below average incomes. Uh, so that's uh, in relative poverty. That's up forty one percent between twenty ten and twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean, and uh, I'm sure those numbers are right. Um, but equally, I think if Dowden said earlier that uh, they've lifted yeah. a similar number out of poverty, which presumably includes kids who are older than primary school age and over a longer period of time, or a different period of time. And I suppose actually, once you once you start getting into that, the children we're talking about aren't even the same children, are they? That's the over that length well, of time they would have grown up. Have been, yes, they are now literally older. They are now, now literally older. Uh, and you just started talking about reading and said, um, "Sorry, uh, uh, any better those questions and answers?" Well, there's some specifics there which are important to to um, to talk about because they're, you know, they're they're real. So the the reading thing is to do with a, a, a system of international comparison called Pearls, and we were fourth in the world. I can't remember what the other ones were, but I can well believe that we might have been the best of the Western nations in that. And that is a genuine success. It's a tribute to lots of the work that's been done over the last decade, on um, particularly in literacy in, in primary schools and, and, and the use of phonics. Um, what I would say, though, is that there is a distinction between um, how uh, that's tested uh, and then what outcomes might happen at the end of schooling for kids, because there is often a dip, particularly for um, disadvantaged students. And more significantly, those stats on educational funding are absolutely um, horrendous <laughs> because they are deeply misleading. Because, of course, the point about educational funding is it's funding the number of children. 
and the number of children has increased massively over this last decade. Yeah, so if you've got more so, children, you have to spend more. And actually, yeah, I think I'm saying the per, the per child, the spend per child hasn't gone up nearly as much. No, no, absolutely. And, and you know, there's, this is one of the things that, one of the reasons that uh, unions rejected the teacher pay offer was because um, the first time we've actually had a, a proper per-child increase in recent years, which still hasn't taken it up to parity of what it was in 2010, you know, we're still below those levels, but that, um, that happened in uh, 2022, and then the pay deal that we were offered at Easter, we were told it was fully funded, it wasn't. It was funded using the uplift that they'd just given us. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, that's, that's, that, I mean, that's a debate. I mean, it's in the paper today. That's a debate which is going on right across Whitehall. Is, is uh, departments being, you know, saying we want to give them the, you know, various sectors pay rises, but then being told they've got to find it out of existing budgets, which will have a knock-on effect elsewhere. Uh, so we've got to try and get through two more questions in the next four minutes. So let's see if we can do this. Uh, this is question number five from Angela Rayner. People laughing and enjoying the tree-hugging magic money tree. Mr Speaker, Rachel Reeves, he doesn't even acknowledge that. it, let alone explain why child poverty is rising. What hope has he got of solving it? So let me try a simpler question for him. How many kids don't have a permanent address today compared to when Labour left office in 2010? Deputy Prime Minister. We can exchange all these numbers across the dispatch box. <laughs> these, Mr. Oh Speaker, let me just say I don't know. Mr. Sit Speaker, down. That would shock her, actually. Yeah. these are the numbers that matter. Oh. There are 1.7 million fewer people in absolute poverty under this government. 400,000 fewer children. 200,000 fewer pensioners and 1 million fewer people of working age because the single best route out of poverty is a job and record numbers of people, 4 million more people under this government have got a job. That is the difference between this party and the party opposite who always leave office with unemployment higher. Angela. I think the reason that those are the figures that matter is those are the ones he had in his folder. They, thinking they did, yes. That having found them based oh, on a the previous questions. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. So he's now talk he says that 400,000 have been lifted out of absolute poverty. Yes. She's saying 400,000 have say been... Something? Yes, yes, Sammy, go on, yeah. Because I, th I think I've figured out what he's talking about here. Because, yeah, so I believe, I'm not certain of this, but I believe that the measure of absolute po poverty is one that is set... Um, uh, from, you know, it's a little bit like council tax. There was like a benchmark that was set, I think, in 2008. So I would suggest that, um, uh, I, I don't, I, you know, please don't quote me on exactly how it works, but I suspect that the reason that those figures have changed so much when at the same time relative poverty seems to have increased so much is probably to do with inflation. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, let's go back there. This is next. Yeah, that, question number six. As part of Oliver Dowden playing the game, answering the last question uh, with some figures I've just found in my folder. It's like a two Ronnie like sketch. Like a two Ronnie sketch, but not funny. Uh, let's, I assume now we're going to get Angela Rayner answering the question of how many children do not have an address now compared to when Labour left government. Let's go to the House of Commons. This is Angela Rayner. Mr. Speaker, what matters is what people feel every single day at the moment who are going to work and can't afford their mortgage, can't afford their rent and can't afford their bills because of this Conservative government. 
55,000 more children without a permanent address today compared to when they took office 13 years ago. We've gone from a Labour cabinet focused on tackling child poverty to Tory ministers who won't even admit the problem. Just like the question time in March 1996, they can only offer excuses and not answers. Lord John Prescott said to Lord Michael Hesitine that day, how can the right honourable gentleman be so complacent in the face of sheer misery created by his government's policies? 27 years on, why are we asking the exact same thing? Oliver Downer doesn't look I very know happy. there's a reshuffle coming up on the other side, but this audition for, for John Prescott's old job is just getting a little bit hackneyed. It is this government that has lifted 400,000 children out of poverty. The party opposite, I hear the right lady claiming to be the party of working people, but under their policies, people can't even get to work. They support Just Stop Oil protesters blocking our roads. They support their union paymasters stopping our trains. And, of course, they support the hated ULEZ stopping cars across our capital. While Conservatives get Britain moving, Labour are standing in everyone's way. Wow. Well, look, um, I mean, calling uh, Rayner's performance hackneyed is really a pot-kettle scenario from Dowden. Right, so the first thing we should say is, as a, as a political strategy, this is much better for Manchester Radio than last week. Correct. Drawing comparisons, like literally saying, it's like 1996 all over again. Yeah. You're tired, you've broken Britain, Labour's on its march, I'm John Prescott. Discipline. Discipline oh. on... We've had enough wooden drivel. Uh, that's, a, that's a smart yeah. bit of positioning by her. Yeah, and the only sensible thing that Dowden did in response throughout six questions was to bang on about ULEZ, which apparently is cutting through a bit in the Uxbridge by-election, which yeah. they would in, then intend to, um, you know, this is the uh, yeah. £12.50 a day charge for uh, polluting vehicles in London, um, which means they may only lose the Uxbridge by-election by a, little bit. A, a decent amount instead of a catastrophic landslide. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just... Um, look, big picture, I think... Uh, you know, Rayner is there to score kind of points and uh, put a bit of stick about. Um, yeah. I didn't think she was particularly good today, but she won it. She was bad, yeah, a, yeah. A healthy 6-0, and that is by some distance Oliver Dowden's worst performance uh, since he took on the job, I would say. Yeah, and certainly people who seem to agree on the YouTube channel, Dowden down and out, look at Penny Morton's face. Yeah, she didn't look like she was enjoying it. Can we please have an acknowledgement of how absolutely dire Dowden has been this week? Dowden is pathetic, pathetic. And on and on and on. Uh, Sammy, before we let you go, what do you uh, what did you make of that? I thought, um, I mean, I would agree with what you've said in terms of the relative performance, but I thought the whole thing was a fairly sad indictment of our political process because I'm not sure what the point of any of it was. <laughs> Could we not just get them to do like a you know a two minute advert each and put it on the telly? They're not talking to each other. It's a very good way of summing it up, Sammy. Sammy, lovely to speak to you. Now, I've been calling you deputy head for the purpose of this or Debbie. You're about to become the head, aren't you? Yeah, well, head, head of school. So there's a, 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 we have a, an exec head and CEO above me. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm really pleased with that. 
Well, congratulations, Sammy. I'm not saying it's just a result of your performance in the last half an hour, uh, but we appreciate it. Really reshuffle. Good, reshuffle. <laughs> uh, Sammy, really good to meet you. Thanks so much. That's um, uh, Sammy Wright joining us, uh, like, I, like I said, uh, Deputy Head of... Uh, Southmore Academy and uh, former member of the uh, uh, Social Mobility Commission and is an author as well. He's a busy man. He's a busy man. Most of you seem to think on the YouTube channel that, in fact, uh, Angela Rayner won that. And lots of you have been sending me Angela Rayner anagrams, which are not broadcastable, so we won't be doing those. Uh, Lara Spirit has been watching the best of the rest of Deputy PMQs. Um, Pat, uh, how was it overall? It was good. Was it? Yeah. Better? Well, you're never going to know because I'm under orders to say it was good now every time I come in, but it was good. It can't have been worse than the main event. I thought it was better today than last week. sorry. Wasn't it? It was better than last week. I think it was better because it was so much worse, though. Somebody's mic's been in touch. I'm missing Dominic Raab, and that's a phrase I never expected well, to say right. this morning. Wink, wink. What we needed was a wink, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, there's a message here from a senior political operative, I won't say from which. Uh, it was effing awful, utterly, utterly dire, bad jokes, badly delivered, not even so bad that it actually makes you spile type. Just, and then another expletive. Wow. <laughs> and well, that's someone who kind of you know, likes this kind of thing likes this kind of thing. Unlike, unlike Sammy the teacher, is a bit like, I've not watched this before, <laughs> not been watching this again. So then, come on then, Lara, let's get stuck into it. What made it so good? So we've got Mari Black. Yay! Um, none of the, like, sizzlers that we saw last week, do you oh, remember? No, but uh, I think actually interesting for just how unapologetic Oliver Dowden was on the mortgage question and that he unprompted brought up the question of restraint on public sector pay, which I think will make some people squirm. So okay, take a listen to this. Oh, good. England predict that mortgage payments will rise by at least £500 for a million households. The Prime Minister says that people need to hold their nerve. The Chancellor said just last night that mortgage holders should just shop around. Speaking of his own party, the member for South West Devon said, if the circus doesn't stop by Christmas, it's over. Does the Deputy Prime Minister understand that people can't afford to wait until Christmas and that they need help right now? Deputy Prime Minister, the fundamental thing we have to do is to halve inflation. That is an approach that the IMF, quote, strongly endorses because higher inflation drives higher mortgage rates. But that's not all we are doing. With the mortgage charter signed up by 90% of mortgage providers, we are giving people help to extend their terms, to go interest only, and to reduce their monthly payments. Now, that action is supported by Martin Lewis, a real money-saving expert, unlike the big spenders on those benches. Oh, there we are. Particularly when somebody said earlier on that he sounded like Martin Lewis. Uh, indeed. Um, interesting that um, it's left to the uh, SNP to raise the subject about um, about wages. Mm. Um, would have been once natural terrain for Labour, but quite interesting that Rayner didn't feel able to do that, and that's partly because the first question that she'd get asked was, well, what are you going to do? How much are you going to yeah, pay yeah. up? And as we know, Rachel Reeves, the Shadow Chancellor, is sitting on her colleagues, um, you know... Metaphorically. Metaphorically, saying... you. Don't you dare spend any money without my say so. And, you know, they've got to try and um, to win the election. They need to look like they're not just going to splurge the cash. So, um, you know, left to the SNP who don't have those uh, problems um, to bring it up. Um, 
what else what else have you got, Lara? Um, this is a uh, slightly challenging question from Bema Falami, Conservative MP, uh, about home ownership and specifically the opportunities for young people to get on the housing ladder. It looks a little bit like uh, Ian Duncan Smith is falling asleep behind him at the time, but I actually Ooh. think he might just be looking Okay, down. if you're watching um, on the YouTube channel, this, 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 is, this is, is what you're you here for. Premium, premium, premium so uh, viewers can make up their own mind as, as to that. But the question is also worth listening to, so let's take a listen to this. Let's take a look. Here we go. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thank you. Uh, on these benches, we know as the party of aspiration the importance of home ownership. Yeah, yeah. According to a recent estimate by Barclays Bank, it now takes an average of eight years for the average first-time buyer to save for a deposit. And in parts of London and the South East, it can be longer than that. What is the Deputy Prime Minister and the government doing in order to improve the prospects for younger people who want to own their own homes? Prime Minister. Well, I know what a passionate champion of this issue my honourable friend is. It is actually the case that almost... 850,000 households have been helped purchase a home since 2010 and actually in 2021 the number of people getting onto the property ladder for the first time was at a 20-year high thanks to initiatives such as First Homes and the Help to Buy scheme. Uh, Of course that stands in contrast to the party opposite who oversaw the lowest level of house building since the 1920s. Well, the main, I'm going to say that at the very least, he was very relaxed, Ian Duncan Smith, there. Yeah, he was nodding. I, I've done that myself in various situations. You could see his, <laughs> it, it's fine. He was looking down to start yeah. with, then his head starts to go, and yeah. that's the sign that, you know, and then he catches it, and then he does a whole range of things to try and make it look like he wasn't going to sleep. So he first looks at his watch, then he props up his face <laughs> with his hands, hoping that that will stop his head from slipping yeah. forward. This is like the total shipman act when I've been caught <laughs> dozing off. I got caught dozing at my desk not that long ago. Here? Yeah, the, the, the head of news wandered over and said to one of my colleagues, shall we talk very loudly next to him? Oh, dear. Yeah. Well, you've got young children, I have got young children. And, you know. You're a modern man. <sighs> anyway. Looking after I, I feel for Ian Duncan Smith there, because he knew, he knew he was on camera he knew as it, well. Yeah. He knew it. But he bim sitting uh, in front of him. But the key is up. that bit where the head just goes. And then it's, it's, sort of, it's the and jump's like, Oh, yes, no, I was looking, just looking down at my watch. Um, <laughs> and then you have to do all those things. He was sort of doing that rubbing his chin. Rubbing the chin. You to, if you pull on your ears, does yeah, that what, pinching stop you yourself, all pulling of that. Pulling on your ears. Yeah. What stops you your, do? If you pull on your ears. <laughs> these are my ears. <laughs> you pull on your ears. That. They're rather more no, it's sort of, magnificent than our ears. They are great ears. No, it stops you nodding off. Pulling on your ears stops you going to sleep. Yeah, pulling on your I bet you got some grief with those when you were little, didn't you? Well, maybe that's why they're so big. Because I was often nodding <laughs> off in uh, biology lessons. Seems fitting. <laughs> uh, anything else? I mean, we've got Ed Davey if we have time for him. Wow. Oh, have we got on time for Ed Davey? A once a month special. What do, you, what do you think, YouTubers? Uh, yeah, go on then. Is he any good? Well, it mentions uh, Somerset, where of course we have the uh, oh, by-election next week, and you'll hear the opposite Ed, benches groan. If you've got Ed Davey talking about Somerset, hold on to your ears, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Speaker. In January, Emily booked an appointment with her local dentist in Chard, Somerset. Well, I've been there. For the 14th of June. <laughs> Only to be told by a neighbour at the end of May that the surgery would close in April. Emily no longer has a dentist. All the remaining surgeries aren't taking on any new patients. Emily doesn't know what to do. 
So can the Deputy Prime Minister tell Emily and millions of people like her when can they get an appointment with a local NHS dentist? Deputy Prime Minister. Well, the, the right honourable gentleman may have missed, but our NHS workforce plan is investing an extra £2.4 billion into training and retaining crucial NHS staff, including dentists and GPs. And actually, the number of dentists will rise by 40%. And I would say to people across that constituency that the best way they can ensure better services for their NHS is to vote for Faye Perbrook. The Conservative candidate. Oh, let me ask, what's he referring to that uh, by election? Is well, there not a minor scandal here? Go on. Ed Davies' wife's called Emily. <gasps> Do you think she's been trying to get I think he's just had his ear bent over breakfast and he's decided to raise it at <laughs> but, 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 but Should she be trying to register for a, a, a dentist in Somerton of Foom in that case? No, perhaps not. Just trying to stir up some interest. <laughs> Um, but there's an interesting thing here, because uh, I remember when the Lib Dems won the Tiverton and Honiton by-election, mm. the thing they really banged on about there was GP surgery access, you know, getting a GP appointment, yeah. and it, which at that point wasn't really in the national ether, and it, it really, you know, both sides, Tories and Lib Dems said it really played a part in the Lib Dems ultimately winning that one, so maybe there is... You know, slightly laugh about trying to get a dentist in charge. But if everyone in charge is trying to get a dentist, maybe it's hammering home. I've heard this from Southern Tories that this is becoming one of the things they're getting hammered on the doorstep for by in those Lib uh, Dem facing seats in the South. Um, uh, it was a former cabinet minister who's in a marginal who brought this up to me several months ago and said, if we don't sort out dentists, it's going to turn into one of those weird Facebook campaigns that no one notices nationally that mm. absolutely murders like Animal you salience look. or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely murders. Murders you locally. Mm, I think Oliver Dowden's response, it's my least favourite uh, kind of semi-incredulous retort of his, that idea of someone might have missed this, I think he's missed this major announcement, like he's missed the workforce plan. It's like actually, I think he said that maybe three times today, yeah. that someone, you, you basically just missed this if you haven't seen the workforce plan. We aren't doing all this stuff. Mm. Actually, actually, actually everyone can not get take lectures from someone about plan. it, that's his other one. You know. Well, given that's that, uh, we should point out, because Ed Davey, uh, no, uh, who did he mention? He mentioned the Conservative candidate, Faye Perbrick, is the Conservative candidate. So, in the interest of fairness, uh, we have to mention all of the others. Lorna Cork is the candidate for the Christian People's Alliance. Mar <laughs> Martin Dimery is from the Green Party. Sarah Dyke signed for the Liberal Democrats. Bruce Evans from Reform UK. Neil Guild for the Labour Party. Rosie Mitchell is independent. Faye Perbrick is Conservative Party. And Peter Richardson from UKIP. It's a bit of a shame there's no Lord Buckethead, isn't it? Well, there's too many of them around, aren't there? Because mm. there's too many by-elections happening, so there's only so many... Monster-waving loonies that could be uh, could be available. I thought you could you could probably. Lara, find lovely one to see you. Thank you for bringing us uh, Ian Duncan Smith falling asleep and Ed Davy talking about chard. Thank you. Two of my favourite things. Uh, right, uh, I was off to pull on her own ears. Uh, what time will your email be out? 3pm. 3pm, very good. Uh, Tim Shipman and I are off for lunch. You may remember a few weeks ago, Tim Shipman bet me uh, lunch slash dinner. Uh, that Boris Johnson would be mentioned by Keir Starmer at PMQs. He wasn't, so we're off for lunch later, uh, which you're going to miss, but don't worry, because you'll be able to hear it over the summer, because everything's content. Uh, so we're going to talk and eat and then record it. Lovely. And that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and catch me on Times Radio weekdays from 10. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, is goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. 
Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.